welcome and thank you for standing by. All participants will be in listen-only mode until the question and answer session. At that time to ask a question, please press star 1. Today's conference is being recorded. If you have any objections, you may disconnect at this time. I would now like to turn the call over to Jasmine Blackwell. You may begin. Thank you and good morning. My name is Jasmine Blackwell and I am the media contact for today's Winter Outlook. Before we get started, I would like to go over a few housekeeping items. Today, you will hear from John Gottschalk, Chief of the Operational Prediction Branch at NOAA's Climate Prediction Center, who will deliver NOAA's 2022-2023 Winter Outlook. A news release and graphics related to today's announcement will be made available on NOAA.gov momentarily. And following Mr. Gottschalk's remarks, you will have the opportunity to ask questions about the outlook. Brad Pugh, Operational Drought Lead with NOAA's Climate Prediction Center, and Tom DiLiberto, Climate Scientist with NOAA's Climate Program Office, will also be available during the question and answer portion of this call. Did you have any additional questions about the outlook? Please contact me at jasmine.blackwell at noaa.gov and that's J-A-S-M-I-N-E dot B-L-A-C-K-W-E-L-L at N-O-A-A dot G-O-V. And with that, I would like to turn it over to John to deliver the Winter Outlook. Thank you, Jasmine. And thank you all for joining today's announcement of NOAA's 2022-2023 Winter Outlook. Uh, the National Weather Service plays a critical role in helping the nation become more ready, responsive, and resilient to extreme weather and climate events, providing accurate and timely forecasts along with forecast advice and interpretive services that we refer to as impact-based decision support services, enhances America's public ability to quickly make informed, life-saving decisions in the face of extreme weather. This will ultimately result in more weather and climate and a more weather and climate ready nation. We produce seasonal forecasts such as the winter outlook to give American communities the best possible scientific prediction of how we think the weather will develop across the nation. The seasonal forecasts produced by the Climate Prediction Center also help users account for risks and opportunities when making climate-sensitive decisions. This outlook supports everyone from local and state governments that must plan for public needs this winter to large and small businesses as they determine how the winter could impact transportation, market demand for their goods and services, and prices. The winter outlook is probabilistic in nature, meaning that the map shows areas that are most likely to be warmer or colder than normal and wetter or drier. However, the nature of a probabilistic forecast means that other outcomes are always possible, just less likely. And in fact, for our probabilities to be reliable, the less likely outcomes must occur from time to time. La Nina conditions continued through the summer months and remain in place for the third consecutive winter and our forecast to persist into spring 2023. So it should be no surprise that the winter outlook is consistent with typical La Nina impacts, which include a general warmer and drier south and cooler, wetter north. More specifically, the winter 2022 temperature forecast favors above normal temperatures for, the, for Northwest Alaska 
the central Great Basin and southwest, extending eastward through the southern plains. Warmer-than-average conditions are also favored for the southeastern U.S. and along the Atlantic seaboard. With the greatest chance of below normal temperatures, most likely from the Pacific Northwest eastward to the western Great Lakes and the Alaska Panhandle. For precipitation, wetter than average conditions are favored in western Alaska, the Pacific Northwest, northern Rockies, and parts of the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley. Drier than average conditions are most likely for portions of California, the Southwest, the Southern Rockies, Southern Plains, Gulf Coast, and much of the Southeast. The greatest odds for below average precipitation are forecast for Southern Texas. The remainder of the U.S. falls into the category of equal chances for below, near, or above average precipitation. As for the drought conditions this winter, we anticipate widespread extreme drought to, to persist across much of the West, the Great Basin, and the Central to Southern Great Plains. The Middle and Lower Mississippi Valley is currently experiencing historic low water conditions, and we expect droughts to continue to impact this area as well. Drought development is likely to occur across the south-central and southwestern U.S., while drought conditions will likely improve across the northwestern U.S. and northern Rockies during the coming winter months. With that, I will turn it back over to the operator to moderate the question and answer session. Thank you. And at this time for your questions, please press star 1. Please unmute your phone and record your name and media outlet at the prompt. To withdraw your request, please press star 2. One moment, please, for questions to come through. At this time, as a reminder, John Gottschalk, Chief of the Operational Prediction Branch at NOAA's Climate Prediction Center, Brad Pugh, Operational Drought Lead with NOAA's Climate Prediction Center, and Tom DiLiberto, Climate Scientist with NOAA's Pro Climate Program Office, will take questions about NOAA's 2022-2023 winter outlook. If you have any questions that are not related to the outlook, please reach out to me following the call. I will now hand it back over to the operator to facilitate the question and answer portion of this call. Thank you. And our first question comes from Tony Wood from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Your line is open. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you. Tony, it sounds like you've gone on mute. How about now? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you now. Oh, great. Okay. Um, two quick questions. One is about La Nina. Now, I know the sample size is very small. There's only been two of these uh, triple dips in the last 50, 60 years. But uh, <clears throat> would a triple dip be in any way more impactful to the United States winter than a uh, conventional La Nina event? And my second question very uh, is, is regarding the Undersea eruption, I've, I've seen this elsewhere. Um, I just want to know any evidence that the aftermath of that eruption is having any impact on the worldwide temperatures so far and could it possibly have a subtle impact on the winter? Thank you. Thanks, Tony. This is uh, John Gottschalk at the Climate Prediction Center. Um, referring to your first question with um, the third La Nina, as you mentioned, very uh, small sample size only. Uh, this will just be the third time that that's happened. And um, there, in looking back at this and um, making this forecast, 
um, there really was no consistent, you know, with only a few cases uh, of making the La Nina impacts any stronger or more robust or more reliable in the given given areas. Um, I will say there's different changes during the three La Nina. Some um, the third La Nina sometimes uh, one of the events was st quite stronger than the other two. Um, with respect to the ocean temperatures, and the another one uh, was actually more online or actually weaker. So we don't really have much gauge um, on impacts because there was such large uh, discrepancy in what that third La Nina ocean uh, temperature response was overall. So with respect to how it impacted the outlook or if there's any significant changes that would play into our decision-making for this year's outlook, that really wasn't possible, and we didn't have uh, make much uh, use of any of that information. With respect to the um, second question, um, Tom, would you be uh, able to answer or shed some light on that second question? Sure. Thanks, John. This is Tom DiLiberto, climate scientist with Nose Climate Program Office. In relation uh, related to the volcanic eruption that happened earlier this year, um, it might have a very, very slight impact, but overall, um, in terms of global temperatures, um, I believe uh, that you're still looking, it's not going to have an overarching larger impact on the global temperatures for this year. Okay. Thank you. The next question is from Patrick Whittle of Associated Press. Your line is open. Hi. Thank you so much for taking our questions. Um, I have kind of a, uh, kind of a two-part question. Uh, one source told me that the last time there were three La Ninas in a row was in the 70s. I, I would love to confirm if that's true. And uh, also, I believe John mentioned um, we expect widespread extreme drought in much of the West. Uh, is there anything that can be said about the impact that could have on wildfires? Yeah, um, thank you. This is John Gottschalk at the Climate Prediction Center again. The um, so actually, we've had two triple dip La Ninas. One was in the early 70s, as you mentioned, uh, but there was also one later than that uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So there, that was more more recent than um, the first the source gave you for the first one. Um, with respect to the extreme drought um, and fires, um, certainly um, the dry conditions that we've had um, through much of the uh, summer months and early autumn have certainly had produced or made uh, areas of fires um, uh, more likely and likely stronger. And most recently, for example, the heat wave or above normal temperatures that we're seeing pretty late in the um, uh, season across the Pacific Northwest, Northern Rockies, um, and drier conditions there has certainly um, increased the um, drought categories there. Uh, the drought conditions continue to worsen in that, some of those areas and have led to more likely and more coverage for, for forest, forest fires. If Brad, you would like to add to that, uh, feel free. Yeah, this is uh, Brad Pugh at the Climate Prediction Center. Just to add on to what John said, uh, one of the areas over the next couple of months uh, that are likely to have enhanced wildfire danger will be the uh, south-central U.S., uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas. Uh, we've had um, yeah, very dry conditions there during the past 30 to 40 45 days, seen an increase in um, drought coverage and intensity. So with that antecedent dryness, that, that'll be um, an area for uh, high wildfire danger during the next couple of months. 
And this is Tom DiLiberto from the Nova Planet Program Office. In terms of the dates of the last times we've had uh, triple dip La Nina's in the winter, we had stretches from the 1973-74 winter through the 1975-76 winter, and then the 19 uh, the 1998-1999 winter through the 2000-2001 uh, winter. Okay, terrific. The next question is from Scott Dance, The Washington Post. Your line is open. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was just wondering if you could address any level of certainty or uncertainty in this forecast. Obviously, I know it's seasonal, so that always brings some uncertainty. But, you know, just given the La Nina being the strong signal here, uh, you know, we've had polar vortex, you know, uh, invasions, I guess you would say, in past La Nina years. Is that possible this year? Uh, you know, how, how confident are you in sort of the classic La Nina conditions? Yeah, thank you, um, Scott. This is John Gottschalk at the Climate Prediction Center. Uh, you raised a very good point. Um, over the last two La Ninas, uh, we've had um, two very different uh, eventual verifications or what was eventually observed during the December to February period. Um, focusing on uh, first the first uh, La Nina, we had um, the La Nina impacts were pretty consistent for the focusing on temperature, but was generally consistent for the most part. Um, what changed was a very cold February in uh, 2021, and I think we all remember that, the very extreme colder outbreak that moved down into Texas and caused some of the energy-related issues and problems down in the south-central plains. And so um, there was actually a large area of near normal when you averaged all the temperatures over the season. And so um, your point is well taken. We, we do know during La Nina events, um, there's considerably more variability, uh, subseasonal variability or week-to-week -week variability during La Nina events as opposed to, say, more moderate to strong El Nino events. So we expect uh, high variability again this winter, similar to the last two winters. Last uh, year's winter outlook actually performed uh, quite well. We did have colder conditions along the northern tier, similar to, to what we noted here, and generally warmer conditions along the south and part in, in the eastern areas. Um, but we did have areas of near normal. And so one reason what we're trying to indicate some of that uncertainty that you're referring to um, is a rather large area of equal chances or to the area that's depicted white across parts of the interior in, in eastern, northeast and eastern United States um, during the December, January, February period and January, February, March period to try to either try to address or try to um, communicate the, um, some of the variability that we expect. Um, we do expect, um, similar to last year, that the most likely outcome will be, um, for the most part, typical and then impacts, and that's why the forecast uh, for temperature is quite uh, similar to that, augmented by various other model guidance and so on. So I hope that answers uh, your question. Yeah, and, and this is John, right? I'm sorry. Yes, yes, John, yeah. Okay, thank you. The next question is from Carl Plume, the Reuters News. Your line is open. Hi there. Um, I have been uh, reporting on commercial shipping problems on the Mississippi River due to low water. I was hoping that you could uh, could, could you provide any more color on uh, the Mississippi River, River Valley outlook and the river itself. I believe you said there would be a wetter outlook for the Upper Midwest and Ohio River Valley, but drier in the Southern Plains and Mississippi River Valley. So uh, I'm just kind of wondering, should we expect any improvement in river levels anytime soon? This is uh 
John Gotch, I've got a client prediction center. I'll just I'll give a brief uh, review of the outlook, and then I'll turn it over to uh, Brad potentially, and also our water level expert that's on the call. Uh, first, as you mentioned, um, December, January, and February, you are favoring above average precipitation, say from basically the Ohio uh, River Valley northward into the Great Lakes, with just just a slight tilt uh, for parts of the Upper Mississippi and cent- Upper Central and Upper Mississippi River Valley, but pretty low confidence in that. Further to the south, however, across the lower Mississippi Valley, um, we are favoring below continuation of below normal precipitation in that region. That would certainly, um, if, if realized, uh, continue low water levels and, and exacerbate drought conditions there. Um, but it's more a mixed signal across a little further up right now. Uh, I will say for the November, January, February, sorry, the November, December, January outlook, we don't have that same signal for above average precipitation that we have in the official winter outlook shown here. So um, this would be more of an impact later on in the winter months than, say, early on. I'll turn it over to to Brad uh, if you'd like to add. Yeah, sure. This is uh, Brad Pugh at the Climate Prediction Center. So in terms of the uh, drought outlook for the uh, Midwest, we are favoring improving drought conditions uh, during the next few months. Uh, A couple of reasons for that. The um, drought is more on the short-term time scale, so it would be a little bit easier to – to see some improvement with the uh, shorter-term drought over the Midwest. And we're also going into a very favorable time of year for soil moisture recharge. Uh, Vapotranspiration rates are declining rapidly, so any uh, rainfall that does occur will will help to um, replenish the uh, soil moisture. And there's really no uh, uh, distinct dry signal on on the seasonal time scale, so... um, yeah, right now it looks like improving drought conditions are most likely uh, for the Midwest during the next few months. Our next question comes from Sandia Patel, ABC7. Your line is open. Good morning, everyone. Um, John, this question is for you or someone else who might be able to address it uh, or add to it. I understand this is a probabilistic forecast, and this is, you know, we've seen two other triple La Nina events in a row previously, and they don't all behave the same. But having forecasted the weather here in California for over 25 years, I know I can tell you that we've seen variability during La Nina years in terms of precipitation. And when you say drier than average for parts of the West or California, parts of California. Can you give us some sort of percentage when we're talking specifically about the Bay Area? You know, what is the likelihood that it's going to be drier than average? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, great question. Um, this is John Gottschalk again at the Climate Prediction Center. Is uh, first off, you're completely correct about the um, the range of uh, eventual observations uh, that are observed during the winter months from the Pacific Northwest Coast all the way down to Southern California. Uh, there's quite a bit of variability across the whole West Coast. And if you look at La Nina events, as you mentioned, over many years, you'll see um, uh, for La Nina events, you'll see areas in the Bay Area and north and um, that can be drier than normal, near normal or above normal for any of those La Nina events. Um, when I'm referring to drier than normal across parts of the West and in the outlook, mainly favoring parts, mainly Southern California and the Southwest. That's where the signal um, is more reliable. Um, 
the reason why we have equal chances in the Bay Area, Northern California, which I know is difficult and, you know, uh, for users to understand is just for the exact reasons that you mentioned, is that there's, there, there basically is um, such high variability along the West Coast in that middle area and even for, a little further to the north and in Oregon that um, – we, we usually end up forecasting equal chances at this forecast lead because of the uncertainty. The rainfall, eventual or seasonal rainfall in some of these areas will eventually be determined by more sub-seasonal type weather and climate events over that appear over a couple of weeks, such as atmospheric rivers or areas of high pressure that last for two or three weeks at a time, as opposed to one longer-term uh, general average pattern. So if you go further to the north and across Washington, we do have high, we, we feel that there's more likelihood of above normal precipitation there. As you go towards the middle part near the Bay Area region, as you mentioned, it's really un quite uncertain. And further south will be the greatest confidence for drier conditions across South Central and Southern California. I hope that helps some. Yeah, no, that definitely helps. I think, John, the biggest problem we have is our viewers here in the Bay Area and our followers on social media, the biggest thing they have a problem with is how come there is a definite signal for the Pacific Northwest and for Southern California, but we're sort of in that gray area and you're not telling me anything. And I'm not saying they say this to me, but they're just, they're like, yeah. well, you know, we want to know, are we going to have a dry winter, a wet winter, somewhere in between? Uh, obviously, everybody wants to know. I mean, we've been in a drought for so many years and it's been so severe. And then with La Nina, I think there's also an automatic assumption every time there's an El Nino that it's going to be wet, and every time there's a La Nina, it's going to be dry here in the Bay Area. But I can tell you, I mean, having gone through the 97-98 El Nino and having gone through other La Nina events, that it doesn't always pan out exactly, you know, the way we would assume as viewers it's going to pan out. Uh, understood. Anything and if I can just add just... Yeah, if I could just add just uh, five more, uh, uh, just a few seconds to that. The reason that that is in the central coastal area is that with La Nina, you tend to have more higher pressure and, and type blocking type high pressure just off the coast in the north central Pacific. And downstream of that, you have um, uh, upper level low pressure or troughs, as you know, that will impact the Pacific Northwest. But very often right. that where that ridge placement is or high pressure placement in the north central Pacific, it makes all the difference. For example, if it's shifted just to 20 uh, degrees longitude to the west, troughing won't be an impact in the Pacific Northwest. It will impact the whole west coast, including parts of central right. and southern California. Other times we'll have, like we've had in February a number of years ago, the resilient uh, ridge, uh, as it was uh, phrased, shifting further to the east, closer to the coast. Then you have dry across the most of the entire West Coast, and the, the precipitation that you would expect in the Pacific Northwest is more in the northern Rockies and into the northern plains. And so it's very hard to predict how that's going to set up uh, over a few weeks at a time, let alone over on average over the whole season. So that's why your viewers have that concern, because that's a real, um, real impact and a real reality. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. The next question is from Evan Bush, NBC News. Your line is open. Hi. Um, I think uh, readers um, might might be sort of uh, with with the Western drought. I think readers might be a little fatigued of seeing those headlines. Um, you know, drought continues that sort of thing. And I'm just wondering if we could put into context how extreme conditions are at this point and um, what some impacts that people should be focused on. 
uh, might be for the Western trout. Um, just trying to better understand that and convey to readers how unique this is. Yeah, this is uh, Brad Pugh at the uh, Climate Prediction Center. So, uh, yeah, we're going on our, um, our third year of, of this extreme drought uh, for, for much of the uh, western U.S., but the extreme drought uh, currently focused over uh, much of California, the Great Basin, and also extending northward into uh, parts of uh, Oregon. And in terms of impacts, um, uh, adversely affecting uh, agriculture, also increasing the uh, wildfire danger, and even has uh, like, uh, impacts on um, uh, tourism as well, that part of the um, uh, economic sector. Um, uh, our seasonal drought outlook, though, is uh, calling for improving drought conditions over the Pacific Northwest. Um, we're, right now, we're seeing a major pattern change uh, unfolding uh, near the west coast with a, a trough of low pressure that'll be uh, becoming established next week near the west coast so looks like a much wetter pattern for washington and oregon uh, during late october into at least the uh, beginning of november so that should begin to perhaps uh, start the improvement process there in washington and oregon and then as we head later into the uh, late fall and winter uh, consistent with CPC's seasonal precipitation outlook and typical La Nina impacts, we are um, expecting those uh, improving uh, conditions to uh, continue into the uh, wintertime. Thanks so much. Yep, you're welcome. The next question is from Joan Gorala from Newsday. Your line is open. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Uh, sorry, a bit New York focused. Could you please address how this third La Nina will affect New York's winter storms? Yes, um, thank you for the question. This is uh, John Gotch about the Climate Prediction Center. Um, we're still favoring a general, um, as similar to the last uh, couple of La Ninas. Typically, uh, during La Nina events, um, the East Coast storm track, um, that obviously affects New York City and New England and the Mid-Atlantic in general. Um, typically, a shift shifted somewhat to the west as compared to climatology, a little, a little further to, closer to the coast or, or, in fact, inland at times up the Appalachians, whereas during El Nino events, that storm track uh, typically actually shifted to the east or southeast of climatology. So what will typically happen with La Nina events in your area uh, very often you'll have um, less, there's some less likely or um, uh, enhanced chances for actually less snowfall from, say, the uh, mid-Atlantic mid region up into your region. Because of the storm track shifting further to the west, it often allows the main area precipitation to be west of your area, but also warmer temperatures from the Atlantic Ocean to creep in and, and affect some of the coastal areas uh, from New England all the way down to the mid-Atlantic. So typically snowfall on average over the season is near to below normal in your region, and it's, but the, each event is different and um, each storm track is different. And so it doesn't preclude having um, uh, an, you know, very snowstorms during the period, but on average typically um, snowfall uh, is uh, favored to be below normal during La Nina events. Oh, and can I also ask, if you don't mind, uh, the 
Is there any way to characterize how this third La Nina might affect the rest of the hurricane season in the Atlantic Basin? Well, I mean, with respect to the, the hurricane um, outlook, um, the updated outlook was released in, in early August. Um, we've been actually in La Nina conditions um, from last winter all the way through the summer, and actually in, in currently in a La Nina advisory, and this is expected to continue, as we noted, through the winter months. So we're already in a La Nina um, situation for, that would impact the eastern Pacific and the Atlantic Basin. So right now it's been an unusual year in many ways for the Atlantic Basin, and so that general uh, trend um, of what we've seen is likely to continue because as we're entering the tail end of the Atlantic hurricane season. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Next question is from Nancy Garner from Omaha World Herald. Your line is open. Thank you. Could you please address how how drought uh, affects winter temperatures and precipitation? And then um, could you address whether there's a connection between La Nina and drought? either into the winter or continuing into the spring. And then I had a request after this. Thank you. Okay. Um, this is John Gottschalk at the Climate Prediction Center. In your area in, in Nebraska, um, during the winter months, the soil moisture relationship to temperature and precipitation um, is not uh, very strong. Uh, that's more of a feedback or um, impact to, to near-surface temperature. Um, during the uh, spring, late spring, spring, late spring, and, and, and summer months, where you tend to have warmer temperatures um, based on drier soils and less evaporation from either the soil or vegetation. So, the upcoming winter don't see much impact from from that point of view. Um, with respect to impacts um, on drought from La Nina, um, as Brad noted earlier, um, basically the, the, over the coming uh, three months. La Nina is going to produce drier conditions, and the model guidance supports this as well across the southern tier. So with respect to um, the precipitation outlook itself, um, we are favoring uh, drought to, uh, to persist and develop along the southern tier uh, of the U.S., meaning the, um, Gulf, some of the southern parts of the uh, southeast and Gulf Coast states, um, but not necessarily too much further to the north um, because of the drier signal is along the southern tier of the U.S., I hope that helps with the first two questions. You said you had a follow-up? Yeah, thank you very much. I don't know whether this call is atypical, but um, if we could have those slides ahead of time, um, that sure would help because I've, I've struggled to keep track of which part of the country is where and all that. So really appreciate all you do, but would just ask if we could get the slides ahead of time. Thank you. The next question is from Josh Saul of Bloomberg News. Your line is open. Oh, hi, everyone. Uh, can you please tell me again, uh, just uh, repeat what the U.S. can expect in terms of higher-than-average temperatures, um, and then also what will this mean for energy demand this winter? Thank you. Sure. This, sure. This is uh, John Gotch at the Climate Prediction Center. Right now, the greatest likelihood for above-normal temperatures uh, for the December, January, February period um, will be along the southern tier of the U.S. from uh, central and southern California across the Great Basin, the southwest, across the southern plains and southeast, and along the uh, Atlantic um, seaboard. Um, with respect to um, energy demand, um, we're favoring typically um, in the early part of the winter um, 
more uh, likelihood of below normal temperatures across much of the uh, western Great Lakes, northern plains, and uh, westward towards the Pacific Northwest. Um, so the energy demand, if, if realized, would be likely stronger in some of those areas uh, early on. Um, we also tend to see kind of a um, potential shift in some of the colder temperatures, although we have greater uncertainty across the parts of New England and the Northeast a little bit later on the winter, as well as further into the Pacific Northwest as we get into February and March, where the signal across the Northern Plains tends to uh, ease somewhat. The, the signal of below normal temperatures I'm speaking of eases somewhat, so that it would be, tend to be favoring more in the early winter for the north central part of the country and the interior, and potentially later in the winter across parts of the northeast, northwest, uh, Pacific Northwest region. Um, so sorry, so in the early part of the winter, the below average temperatures along the where? Could you say again, please? Yeah, favoring from the Pacific Northwest to the Western Great Lakes along the northern tier. So that would include the northern plains, northern high plains, northern Rockies, and Pacific okay. Northwest. And then later, later, later in the winter, you would expect colder, colder temperatures in the, in, the, in the northeast, you said, so greater energy demand there? Potentially. They, we tend, the last uh, few La Ninas, we've had um, colder temperatures later on in the winter due to various reasons that have occurred across parts of New England, the eastern Great Lakes. But um, that's been pretty, uh, that's been very variable um, from event to event. But that's what we've seen the last couple of years. It's hard to predict where and when specifically, but that tends to be a higher probability during the later part of the winter. And colder temperatures in general make for greater energy demand. Is that right? In, in general, um, from a temperature perspective, I don't know all the details necessarily, but from a um, heating point of view, colder temperatures uh, um, overall uh, would tend to favor that, I would, I would believe. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Next question is from Barbara Moran from WBUR Boston. Your line is open. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my questions are New England-specific. Um, and following up on the, the Bluebird reporter, you said that there's going to be warmer-than-average temperatures in the, the Northeast in New England, but I'm wondering, can you be more specific about how much warmer, and then will that be just in the beginning of the season and toward the end? And a uh, second question about winter storms. Do you think in for New England, do you expect them to increase in frequency or, or intensity this winter or be average? That's it. Thank you. Sure. Um, this is uh, John Gottschalk with Climate Predictions. And currently our November, December, and January outlook plus the winter outlook we're showing now, we do tend to uh, have a slight tilt in the odds towards above normal temperatures along the eastern seaboard, including uh, Boston and uh, lower New England. Um, but that's the probabilities or likelihood of the seasonal mean temperatures being in the upper range of the historical uh, distribution or range of possibilities over the last 30 years. We're not able to uh, accurately or reliably say how much above normal uh, for the season in those areas um, overall. Uh, with respect to the uh, storminess, as I mentioned, um, the storm track ten tends to be shifted uh, closer to the coast or inland. Uh, but temperatures can sometimes be cold enough across parts of uh, the northeast New England and your area of Boston uh, to actually you're on the borderline between below normal, favorite below normal snowfall in the mid-Atlantic region during La Nina's and actually above normal snowfall across parts of northern New England. So there's a lot of variability in the um, actual snowfall um, uh, departures from normal in your area. As far as how the storms are um, more the frequency or the um, intensity, we really can't say anything reliably um, 
with or concisely with respect to that at this uh, at this um, early stage of the winter. Those are more events that can be determined um, maybe a week in advance. Okay, great. Thing. It sounds like a very typical New England. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah great. great. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. The next question is from Ezra Romero from KQEB. Your line is open. Hi, thank you so much. Um, can you characterize the outlook for the San Francisco Bay Area? And then secondly, I know we had some big atmospheric rivers last year that, you know, were sort of drought busting for some parts of the Bay Area, you know, where this big area from San Jose to Sonoma. What do you expect that well, we could see some of these, like, big extratropical cyclone-type atmospheric rivers in, as well? Yeah, this is uh, John Gottschalk of the Climate Prediction Center again. Um, first, your first question, generally favoring um, above normal temperatures in the Bay Area, especially uh, to the south of the Bay Area in California, um, at modest prob probabilities. With respect to precipitation, as, as it was discussed earlier, um, the official forecast for equal chances for any of the three categories because of the uh, high variability that we discussed earlier for the West Coast. However, um, your, your question is very spot on in, in that um, we certainly don't certainly can have atmospheric river events that produce high amounts of precipitation, um, and depending on the exact situation for higher elevations, heavy snowfall. Um, we saw that last year during the um, month of December that you had a very strong atmospheric river event um, and uh, drought improved considerably in some areas. And then, however, if you look at the observations for the season as a whole, you're actually below normal. So it's a, it's, a, it's a real challenge. So my answer to that second question is that, yes, certainly, um, atmospheric river events can occur during these, uh, these La Nina um, winters, and um, I wouldn't expect anything otherwise. It's more of the, the frequency of them and when they occur and how, how cold the situation is um, in the Pacific Northwest and in California, whether you can build up the snowpack at a sufficient level so that it, it melts over time in the spring to produce um, drought relief overall. I hope that helps some. I think so, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. The next question is from Don Jenkins, Capital Press. Your line is open. Thank you. What else besides La Nina will affect the winter weather? Yeah, um, this is uh, John Gottschalk from the Climate Prediction Center. Overall, in addition to just the, the typical La Nina understanding of impacts, potential common impacts, uh, we have a number of uh, other uh, forecast information that we utilize, such as um, numerical weather prediction models that are similar for what you see for the weather time scale, but these also run out for the, um, or produce a solution out into over three months. And so we have a number of these that we utilize um, in making the outlook. So that information um, is we augment our current La Nina back, background state forecast um, to uh, by using these these model uh, uh, predictions. Also, um, in certain areas, coastal sea surface temperatures are uh, utilized, as well as the uh, above normal sea surface temperatures in the North Pacific right now in the North Atlantic. We have um, products that are able to try to make use of that information to adjust the, the outlook. In addition to those seasonal factors, um, a lot of things that will affect the winter, eventual winter temperature and precipitation patterns um, are um, more what we call subseasonal variability. 
or uh, types of changes that occur over weeks as opposed to on average over the whole season. Um, and these play a role, but they're not typically um, predictable um, at such long leads on the seasonal time scale. These are often returning, you may be familiar with, are such um, types of climate variability such as the Arctic Oscillation, uh, which is a higher latitude phenomenon, or the Madden-Julian Oscillation, uh, which is a tropical uh, phenomenon or impacts. Those sorts of variations on the sub-seasonal time scale um, can often go a long way in, in determining what your eventual seasonal mean temperature um, observations will be by the end of February. Does that help? Yes, and if I may ask a quick follow-up, is this likely to be a weak, moderate, or strong anemia? And does the strength of the La Nina matter? Right. First question is um, we're favoring, and it looks like it's going to be a, another moderate event uh, similar to last year, so a low low to mid-range moderate, moderate event. And with La Ninas, um, to be honest, there is not much um, predictability or reliability and impacts, whether they're uh, weak, moderate, or strong. With El Ninos, that's different. Stronger El Ninos tend to be more reliable in some of the, uh, for the most part, in some of the temperature and precipitation patterns across most, most of the country. Thank you. You're welcome. The next question is from Isaac Zarecki from Strata Markets. Your line is open. Hi, thank you. Um, I guess just returning to the uh, the California outlook question, uh, we're a PRA specializing in the uh, the tree nut sector. It looks like uh, you know with the Bay Area discussion, you extend that into the Central Valley a little bit in that um, kind of central to uh, northern part of the California Central Valley is going to be a little less predictable, but um, southern Central Valley seems like it, the drought is going to uh, continue. Is that correct? Yes, this is uh, John at CBC. Yes, that's correct. Um, we have a bit more confidence in, in, in tilting towards drier than normal uh, winter precipitation for the areas you mentioned, the uh, central and lower Central Valley of California down towards the, the lower part of the state. And so, therefore, that would tend to, um, with, with the lack of precipitation, uh, persist the drought in those areas. Gotcha. And, and so, um, maybe Merced North, it seems like, unsure, more up in the air, though, correct? Yes. Um, that's that's the um, part of reality, um, unfortunately. It's just a very uncertain. The one other thing I would add is that we do produce forecasts as we go forward, um, you know, a few weeks in advance uh, throughout the season. And so I encourage people to um, look at some of those outlooks that um, are week two outlook, week three and four outlook, that may give a little bit of lead time uh, for potential wet periods coming up or dry periods, for that matter, in, in California that we may not be able to um, reliably depict on our seasonal precipitation map. Got it. Got it. Thank you. You're welcome. The next question is from Craig Miller. Next Avenue, your line is open. Hi, thanks very much. Um, uh, I, I'm looking at your seasonal, your three-month outlooks here for both uh, temperature and precipitation, and I see that you've got uh, New York State, most of New York State and New England in the normal or above temperature zone uh, overall for the next three months. But we do get these uh, occasional intrusions or breakouts of the polar vortex 
the, which I've read may increase, or at least in longevity, with climate change. How how predictable are those things? And you, you have any insights into how that might play out this winter? Yeah, thank you for the question. This is uh, John Gottschalk at the Climate Prediction Center. Is um, the most recent research overall? Is, the question is still somewhat open as to whether. Um, uh, some of those Arctic outbreaks, uh, very amplified patterns, do change with climate change. But there is some evidence that's, that um, the polar vortex, for example, uh, at higher latitudes, becomes a little bit more wobbly, if you will, or more meridional, as we call it. That tends to um, make the polar vortex weaker. And when it's weaker, you can tend to have more Arctic outbreaks across anywhere in the mid-latitudes, not just the central part of the country, the U.S. or Northeast. Um, so I you know, whether it's changing with becoming more frequent or more intense, um, really can't speak to that. But with, with respect to the timing of when we may know something like that may happen, it's very closely tied to the Arctic Oscillation in some of these events and um, the, the in, in other oscillations, uh, for the most part, that impact these polar outbreaks. And But typically, unfortunately, uh, some very strong signals or reliable signals really can only be achieved uh, for that um, a couple weeks out, uh, perhaps, sometimes less, sometimes uh, a little bit more, depending on the situation. Um, for example, we can have sudden stratospheric warmings. Uh, you may be familiar with that, which can produce, um, give us a little bit more lead time potentially for um, a switch in the phase of the Arctic, Arctic Oscillation to a cold signal for the U.S., for example. But we really can't say too much about that at this time. Um, I would say a few weeks out, we, could, we would start to be able to see something like that potentially happening. Hope that makes some sense. Mm. Yeah. I was, do, you, do you predict that? Do you, do you expect any improvement in that predictability from like the JPSS two or anything that's upcoming? Well, I think all uh, the, I, I do think that improvements will definitely be coming over time, but they'll be incremental, um, small changes, yeah. and so on over time. Um, specifically, what you're referring to, I, I'm, not, I'm not familiar as much about that. But in general, uh, all the information and projects with respect to whether it be satellite data or improved modeling. Um, do we do expect and hope um, that there will be improvements in these sort of extreme events moving forward over the next 10 to 20 years? We do think they'll be incremental, however. If I can just squeeze in a quick uh, – I see that a lot of your boundary lines on your heat maps cut right through New York State and New England. Is that because we're kind of straddling the jet stream? Yeah, uh, exactly. Typically. The storm track, uh, as I mentioned, shifts whether what phase you are in. So, so for La Nina's, it's typically – shifts to the north and west. Not every storm tracks that way, but in general, on average over the season, um, that's what typically happens for La Nina. So the storminess and snow, for example, is more in the Appalachians and to the west and interior parts of New York, whereas warmer air is able to come along the coastal area. So we know that we have the I-95 corridor of rain, snow line, almost seems like every storm. Um, that can often be a little further west. And so it's very, it's a challenge because the warm air comes from these storms off the water. Even though it's winter, the water temperatures are warmer, obviously, than over the land. And so that can tend to keep temperatures above normal in coastal areas. So that's kind of why that is drawn that way. Okay, thanks. I hope I didn't overstay my welcome there. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And before we take the next question, as a reminder to ask a question today, please press star 1 at this time. Our next question comes from Travis Herzog, KTRK-TV. Your line is open. Hey, thanks for doing this like I'll do every year. Um, just a real quick question of 
what all goes into formulating the outlook beyond just looking at ENSO? Is there anything else you're looking at? And if it's primarily based off ENSO, is there anything that you've been studying to perhaps add to these outlooks to enhance their predictability in the future? Yeah, thanks, Travis. A very good question. Um, although we use um, ENSO, as, I, as, as you mentioned, as the initial first sort of guess, if you will, that if we're in one of the uh, events, whether it be La Nina or El Nino, uh, we do have quite a bit of other information that I, will, I don't want to go into too much detail, but we have both uh, empirical uh, statistical and dynamical model guidance, as you probably know, from a number of systems that are uh, used to forecast out through the winter um, months. And so what we tend to do is we sometimes do have uh, distinct differences or uh, nuances or uh, adjustment of details that we use um, numerical modeling for with the seasonal outlook. So it's not entirely um, and, and so driven. Um, it does serve as a first guess because uh, that's one of the leading modes that are predictable for seasonal outlooks. But we do use numerical weather guidance to augment um, the forecast. And there's also relationships with various sea level pressure and SST, uh, whether it be in the Pacific or the Atlantic, um, that often um, are not related to ENSO per se um, that we utilize in our outlooks. Uh, we also utilize uh, natural analogs at times uh, of previous, over the previous historical record um, that, that don't necessarily link to, to La Nina's. We also use, and so this all kind of combines itself into um, the outlook that you see. I hope that as helps. Quick, yeah, it does. And as a quick follow-up, um, how warm relative to average the northern Pacific is into the Gulf of Alaska, is that typical for a La Nina, or is that something that may set this particular La Nina pattern in the Pacific apart from others? It, that's a great question. Typically, that does happen, um, but it's a little bit, sometimes a little bit later in, in the winter because one of the patterns in the circulation that occurs during La Nina, as you know, is more blocking or high pressure in the North Pacific, and so the storm track is shifted north, and therefore there's less storminess there and um, less cloudiness, so ocean surface temperatures have become warm um, as we go through the winter. But right now, we're starting in that, that phase, um, and so sometimes that can lead to a little bit more high pressure uh, amplification in the pattern. Um, or during El Niños, as you know, blocking is typically more likely than, say, during strong El Niños. And so with blocking, whether it be in the North Pacific, across Alaska, or in the North Atlantic associated towards Greenland, that typically is a colder pattern for um, the central parts of the interior of Canada and, and, north, and um, north central U.S. And that's one of the uh, factors that we considered outside of ENSO uh, that you mentioned, that that sort of uh, SST pattern um, can produce uh, more troughing in the interior part of North America and can lead to more potentially colder air. Uh, but having said that, we know also that extratropical or high-latitude sea surface temperatures, meaning outside the tropics, uh, can change very quickly over a few weeks, three weeks or so, as compared to ENSO, which can last for seasons, as, we, as we've seen. So we, we, we consider it, but we have to be very careful about how we uh, utilize it completely because of that, that it can change quickly. Great perspective. Thank you. You're welcome. The next question is from Allison Chinchar, CNN. Your line is open. Thank you. I know you briefly talked about uh, the Mississippi River water levels um, and talking about soil moisture rebounding in the Midwest and the below average levels for the lower Mississippi Valley region. Can you talk more specifically about the forecast for the precipitation in the winter, specifically for the Mississippi stretch from Kentucky all the way down to Louisiana and its impacts there? 
Sure. Um, this is uh, John Gotcha at the Climate Prediction Center. Right now, um, from say Kentucky southward, um, there's there's some uncertainty uh, in the uh, northern part of that region. Say uh, uh, for con- the Kentucky and Tennessee, Missouri, Arkansas areas where we have equal chances for any of the three categories. However, south of say central Arkansas, we are favoring uh, below normal precipitation um, across that across the river area, river valley. Um, in that region, uh, so that would that's kind of what we're favoring overall. Um, so drought precipitation shouldn't, if it realized, will be below normal and further exacerbate drought conditions. Brad, do you have any other comments um, that you would like to add? No, that that sums it up well, John. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. The last question comes from Scott Dance, The Washington Post. Your line is open. Thanks for the second question. I, I also wanted to sort of come back to the Mississippi, but, uh, you know, maybe I'll just say looking at, like, the drought outlook map compared to the, you know, precipitation outlook map, I'm curious, like, why, you know, it's such a massive area of, you know, continuing or worsening drought. Uh, when, you know, we've got kind of equal signals for uh, precipitation outlook in, in a lot of that area, although I guess, yeah, still in, a lot of it is in the southern tier. But just, yeah, wondering if you could talk about the the overall, you know, with, with you know, more than 80% abnormally dry, you know, in the country now, what is, could you come back to the overall outlook for, for drought in the country yeah, this is uh, Brad Pugh at the Climate Prediction Center. So a um, c- couple of areas for persistence um, that, to touch upon. Uh, the, the Great Plains is going into their uh, drier time of year. So that's a, a major factor in uh, supporting uh, persistence uh, throughout the Great Plains. And also as you move southward into um, Oklahoma and Texas, the uh, drier than normal conditions are uh, and uh, persistence are consistent with La Nina. And then over the uh, southwestern U.S., Southern California, uh, with uh, La Nina and uh, the seasonal forecast uh, favoring below normal precipitation, uh, persistence is uh, forecast there. Um, Conversely, um, talked about this earlier in the call, but we are expecting some improving conditions, though, for the uh, northwestern U.S., Okay, um, but yeah, I guess like for like the the upper plains, for you know some of the Rockies, like I see those are in the equal chances precipitation outlook. But you know, in the in the continuing or worsening uh, drought category, what what how would you you know what, why is that? Yeah, so for like the uh, northern plains east of the uh, continental divide, so. Uh, um, Central and eastern Montana, eastward to to the uh, Dakotas. Uh, the uh, winter time is a very dry time of year, so that's uh, that's the reason we're not expecting any improvement in the drought conditions uh, for that region of the country. And then over the uh, the southwest and uh, much of California, a part part of the reason for the persistent forecast is the uh, La Nina. But also just the uh, long-term uh, nature of the drought, you know, dating back t- uh, through um, back to uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yep. You're welcome. 
We are showing no further questions at this time. All right, thank you so much. This will conclude our press briefing today, and you can find the news release and related graphics from today's call on NOAA.gov. If you have any additional questions, please contact me by email at jasmine.blackwell at noaa.gov. That's J-A-S-M-I-N-E dot B-L-A-C-K W-E-L-L at N-O-A-A dot G-O-V or by phone at 202-841-9184. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. That does conclude today's conference. We do appreciate you attending. You may disconnect at this time.